0: This is Steve Robinson, former Chief Marketing Officer for Chick-fil-A. I am
1: thrilled to be part of the Shadows Podcast. Welcome, Shadows Casters, to another episode of the Shadows Podcast. I'm your host, Trip Odenheimer. And the black and red has something in store for the month of July. July holds historic significance for the military in the United States. Such events as Independence Day, Battle of Gettysburg, Bastille Day, Korean War Armistice, National Armed Forces Day, those are just to name a few. But this July, the Shadows podcast will dedicate the entire month worth of episodes to our Veterans series. We kick things off on Independence Day with retired United States Air Force Chief Master Sergeant Robert Zachary. And then we roll into August by celebrating National Purple Heart Day. It's observed august 7th each year in the united states and this day is dedicated to honoring the brave men and women who've been awarded the purple heart medal for their service and sacrifice while serving in the united states military we have joining us a purple heart recipient and recent inductee into the national purple heart hall of honor ryan hines we have an absolutely stacked next six weeks coming your way so please make sure you have subscribed you're following the shadows podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that you catch all of these upcoming episodes each and every week. Now we hope you enjoy this week's episode of the Shadows Podcast with Rachel Barbo. And remember, it's only through the shadow, no one comes to know the light. So where are you currently located right now?
0: I am in Yulee, Florida, home of Derek Henry, um, right outside of a beautiful place called Amelia Island. I live live in paradise. I got married, um, I got married about a year and a half ago, and um, my husband's children are here, and he is a wonderful, engaged father, um, super dad, and so I would never um, dream of trying to take him anywhere other than by his children, and he wouldn't have it anyway. So <laughs> I now live in paradise, and so I'm very blessed.
1: That's better than being in like Sheboygan or somewhere like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) His family's from Minnesota and, and, uh, and, and his mom and dad laugh, you know, they, they come down here a lot, but they laugh. They're like, we just, you know, like those Minnesota winners. Like, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm.
1: Well, well, I definitely want to open up here and with some rapid fires and then get into your story. Yeah. I mean, what a great story, motivating story for uh, our listeners out there. First of all, a book recommendation for listeners. Yeah. outside of yours we're going to get to yours
0: yes um anything but ogman dino i wrote about um i wrote about him in my book um my mom raised me on ogman dino i think he's one of the greatest motivational and sales um writers um in the world the greatest salesman the greatest miracle in the world um if i could travel back in time he'd be one of the people i would meet um And so anything about Augmandino, he's a little bit older, so um, he's passed away. So, you know, the younger generation might not know who Augmandino is, but I highly recommend that um, you go check him out.
1: OK, that might answer a question coming up in a second. Uh, you're working out. What yes. is one workout song or a song that you're driving down the road that you don't want anybody to know you listen to?
0: <laughs> um, I don't know if it's like one song, but I would say like, what song is it that, um, that, you know, that like you get stuck in your stupid head, not stupid yeah. head, it's like stupid song that gets stuck in your head and you're like, doo, 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 you know, yeah. like all day long. You're like, what, what, I like that song? Like, what is that? You catch yourself singing it. Yeah. That's it would probably be one of those, like a, probably like a, like an sync or something like that. My daughter has turned me into a huge uh, Taylor Swift fan. So. Oh, uh, the Swifty, and then she's also turned me into a Morgan Wallen fan as well.
1: Okay, I had "Groove Is in the Heart" stuck in my head, and I can't stand that song.
0: <laughs> Groove is in the heart.
1: Yes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Favorite football stadium.
0: Oh wow! I mean, I obviously love um, you know I love my alma mater, Auburn's uh, stadium. It's great. Game days great. Tell you another one that's just the crowd itself and the surrounding. It's LSU, man. They know, they know how to do parties and football. Yeah, they do.
1: Like the second you hit the city limits, it's it's party. What is a uh, guilty pleasure yours?
0: Oh, guilty pleasure. Uh, What's yours? I'm just trying to think about what's what's yours.
1: Mine's got to be sweets, some sort of snack. That
0: I know salt. I salt is if can, can a guilty pleasure be salt ask my daughter like anytime we go anywhere or do the I'm like have some salt with that have some salt with that like I guess that would be my guilty pleasure yeah. the body does need salt to to survive so I will um I will say that but I guess it would be a guilty pleasure too um I, I guess it used to be also too like some of those um like the you know real estate shows like on Netflix and oh then, yeah yeah and then I would say, too, one of mine used to be like the reality shows, like the housewives. But th- I would oftentimes um, leave watching them. I don't watch them anymore. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, like they just pay to go to parties and fight. Like they, yeah. that's it. like they go to parties and they fight. And I love you. And I'm like, and then I would ask myself how I felt after I watched those and I would feel terrible. And I'm like, why am I even watching this one that didn't provide any educational value? I feel like crap afterwards. And I'm literally just watching these women get dressed up, drink and fight. And that's why I'm watching. And so I stopped watching them. I have no desire. to. So that was a guilty pleasure that I learned was not a pleasure anymore. Is that, is that help?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You leveled up. You leveled up. Yeah. Okay. And last one dinner for three three historical people who are no longer with us
0: oh my gosh yeah uh, so aug would be one of them um jackie robinson would be another good
1: one no um, one's called him yet that's good
0: yeah yes yeah. sweetness is another um <laughs> and if, uh, if we were to move aug out since i've already um i've already um used him at uh, it would be a toss-up between Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King Jr. I, if I were going to go back to school, I would study African American studies, yeah. uh, the early, the early days of African American studies. I live on Amelia Island, great little. Um, uh, sidebar here. It's not a great sidebar, but a sidebar. I live on Amelia Island and um, we stayed, my husband and I stayed for our anniversary at this bed and breakfast. And one of the reasons why we stayed there was it was reputed to have a, um, uh, it was to be a stop on the Underground Railroad. Mm. And we got there and the lady was really nice. She was like, Hey, we just bought it. We could not find, you know, any blah, blah, blah. Well, across the street from this this house, my husband, when he was married before and had his kids, lived in an old house there that actually had a secret room underneath the stairs in wow. the basement. And you could pull back like a little like um, false floor and get yeah. to it. And I said to my bonus daughter yesterday, I said... What if like they just had the house off? Like, what if they were just wrong with it it really was a stop? It just wasn't that house. It was the one across the street. So very interested in that. But the other day, I knew that Amelia Island being one of these barrier islands, I knew that they were it was a UNESCO World Heritage Site because it was where like the middle passage happened where thousands and thousands and thousands of Africans were stolen from Africa um, to be put into slavery here. And so I, it it's hidden. Like you don't, it's not on the tourist sheets. It's not any of those yeah. things because it's not the pretty fun and sun glitzy part of this Island, but I went and found it. And I sat there, I took my dog and I sat there and there's a bench and there is a um, sign there. And, I just sat there and I told my, my daughter, we we're having a conversation with great conversations about it. I said, it's a place where you just go and pay homage and honor and mm-hmm. you just shut up and sit and recognize that so many people stepped right here on these shores, right in front of this bench, terrified. And, you know, and all the, the horrificness that went on with the slave trade and, and just and, and so. I say all that to say is I'm, I'm hugely into, um, into, you know, history and in that part of our history and, um, it's, it's fascinating and it's sad. And I think if you don't recognize those things, we're, we're bound to repeat them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's crazy. You got that, that location there. It's like, uh, here Montgomery. with Martin Luther King and legacy yes. museum and everything. I mean, just so yes. much history, but
0: it's fascinating. And, very, and you just, absolutely. You just have to dig into it. And I think, you know, with the reckoning of our country and, and all, of, you know, different monuments and things being torn down, it's not that I'm against that, but I definitely think that one of the greatest places you can take your kid is to a museum, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, or to a, a, you know, some sort of history and say, this is what happened. And this wasn't even that long ago, you know, and, mm-hmm. And I I just think it's so so important to do that.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to get into your journey here. So,
0: <laughs> tell our
1: listeners out there, where did you grow up, and what did your parents do?
0: I um, I love this podcast because this is such different questions <laughs> than I get. By the way, so it's kudos to you. I was a military brat. I am a military brat. Oh I'm wow! Dad, grandfather, brother, all Army men. Um, my grandfather's brother never came back from Korea. Um, and then I married an Air Force man, um, 25 years in the reserves. He helped uh, build and, and worked on Skunk Works, and
1: mm-hmm. and, um, and you twos. Uh,
0: yeah. And so, and then now he has a company that he um, works and does new novel and transformative for the warfighter. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it's military is is hugely runs through my veins, and and so we moved every couple of years. Yeah. Um, my dad was in the military. My mom um, did a little bit of everything back when pagers were like the thing. My mom was number yeah. one in sales and pagers <laughs> in the country. And then she went on to build log homes. She and my dad built log homes for 25 years and were very, very good at that. So because of that, we moved every um, my stepdad, I should say, but we moved every two to three years. And so and then I would go on to be a sportscaster and move every 2 to 3 years. And so I have joked once I got married, moved to Florida, I, I joked I said, I'm not moving. Like I, I don't want to move again. Like I just want I want to stay military
1: here. retired at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see the inside of a moving box for really ever again.
1: <laughs> With all that moving, like what were some of your aspirations is did you know that sports was something you wanted to go into?
0: No, um, I only knew that I had two brothers that played baseball, basketball, archery, tennis, BMX, bike racing. Literally, it was a field, a match or whatever. I was there yeah. and I my mom put me in soccer. I wasn't great at soccer. And then um, and then we went straight from that to dance. And, you know, I've been a dancer my whole life. So that was great. Um, I did not know. All I knew was I was really good with people. I uh, came on in front of a crowd that I was a great communicator. And so because of that, I couldn't figure it out. I went to school for general assignment reporting to be a broadcaster, but then quickly realized that house fires and car wrecks were just not my thing. I'm way too much of an empath. I'm way too sensitive, which there's nothing wrong being too sensitive. It's a superpower, but it was meaning I I, I just couldn't, I would take it home every single night. Mm -hmm. And I was working with the campus TV station. And uh, I'd say coincidentally, but I don't believe in coincidences. Got sent out to cover a Auburn football game, and it was Auburn Syracuse. I think it went into like three overtimes, and I just remember the speed of the game, the crunch of the helmets, the everything. And I was like, I was it's intoxicating. I was hooked, and I never looked back. I started doing sports casting, and was a sportscaster for seventeen years before retiring in twenty nineteen.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to talk about your sports cast crew. What was it that made you go to Auburn?
0: Uh, I loved Auburn. I was an Auburn fan growing up. I thought about going to Alabama for um, for broadcasting because I had a a really good broadcasting school, and then um, but I was an Auburn fan. I was also it was also close to my grandmother's house, but I was an Auburn fan, and I just um, I wanted to go there. I loved it, and um, and you know, and also learned that even if. Some other place might have a better school for something, but at that point in time, and I think it is true in certain uh certain you know studies that you go into, it is what you make of it. if you work, if you get the internship, if you do the thing. So um, so that's why I went to Auburn, grew up an Auburn fan and you know in Alabama, you're either Auburn or Alabama, that's it mm-hmm. you know? And um me and just a couple of friends were like the lone Auburn fans you know growing up and watching football in, in big settings as well.
1: Yeah, if if you're not serious about sports at all, you pull for Troy or something like that. But (laughs) Yeah. What about the irony of you going to an Auburn-Syracuse game and broadcasting is what you wanted to go into. Syracuse, well known for that.
0: Yeah, Um, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and uh, from there, uh, you mentioned you get into sports and you were a field reporter with Fox Sports. How did you end up landing that gig?
0: Uh, They found me. That's the that's the thing in life, particularly with broadcasting, is you just worry about being um, you worry about being good and they'll find you. You know, in football, you doesn't matter where you go to school, they'll find you. Sweetness was a perfect example of that. Um, They found him. You know, they'll they'll find you. small college. Yeah. Yeah. They'll find you wherever you are, you know. And and um, yeah, I mean, it um, that's yeah, that's 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 pretty much it.
1: And that's most kids, you know, dream come true. I remember my fifth grade year, we were doing like career day and I went in with like a toilet paper roll with some paper tinfoil stuffed on top. And I was an ESPN reporter. Kids dream about that kind of stuff. And how was it for you when you when that became a reality and you have Fox Sports you know, you're, you're signing a contract with them. How cool was that?
0: Yeah, it was Fox Sports. And then like right after that, it was it was a Fox Sports. And then I got tapped to be like the first one. of The only fe- like females in a top five market doing radio with Cordell Stewart in Atlanta. And then I went from there and became the first female host on Sirius XM collegiate channels. And then I got asked to vote for the Heisman. And then I got asked for the first five years to host the college football playoffs. So it was just like. There, there was never a time in my career where I was not in complete awe. Like, holy crap, looking at this, the sky going, I know that was you, God. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. But that was the thing that if you asked any of my people that I worked with, like I put relationships first. Um, I never did a story. A gotcha, I was never a gotcha reporter, but I never did these gotcha stories or anything like that over my relationships. I, I, I just, I was people first. And people knew, too, that I played well with others in the sandbox, meaning I wasn't difficult to work with. Um, You know, I, I, um, you know, yeah, worked hard. You know, definitely being a woman in the industry, you have to work twice as hard to be respected half as much. But there wasn't a time where it was like, oh, that Rachel, you know, she's big headed. She's, you know, full of herself. And no, I knew I was working when others were partying. I worked nights. I worked weekends. I worked, you know, I I look back at like my Facebook memories will pop up and it's like, hey, I'm working three shows today or hey, I'm doing this or hey, I'm working well. And, you know, I I hustled. I hustled my, my rear end off. But there was never a time where it was lost on me how absolutely fortunate and blessed I was and am.
1: And I'm curious about what you said about relationships, because I teach emotional intelligence. And one of the things we talk about is, you know, intellectual capacity and uh, technical skills kind of get you in the door, but then emotional intelligence and relationships is what keeps you there for a lot of what you were explaining there about being a reporter, just being good and, you know, standing out mirrors a lot with the military where you're you're told like you're on a team, but at the same time, you got to perform well individually. What do you say to someone that's like, "Ah, I don't I don't have time for relationships. I just got to get the job done. That's what it takes to succeed.
0: Mm, That it's lonely, that it must be lonely for you if that's the way you think. Yeah. That Connection I wrote about in the book. Connection is the balm of joy that uh, if you think like that, you will most likely have the the feeling that you step on whoever you need to step on to get to wherever you get. And it's just part of it. And the hustle, well, let me tell you something, baby, those people will come back up. They will present themselves again in your life and you will feel terrible and you'll probably have to reckon you know, with the fact that you stepped on them. You will never lose when you put people first. You will never lose when you help somebody at work. You will never lose... And it, you know, it, it, somebody may get promoted in front of you. Somebody may get, you know, it, something may happen for somebody better than you. But I'm telling you, you're not going to lose when you invest in people because people are the true. I say this all the time is that, um, Uh, You know, I am a millionaire, a zillionaire, billionaire, whatever you want to call it, because of people. People are my currency. And because of that, I'm so rich and so blessed, man. I'm so blessed. I do not judge my life by the bank account. Of course, money makes things easier. We all want to make money. I have a friend named Brittany Turner who went from being homeless to now owns an island next to Richard Branson. And she has, I know, right? And she has this saying, she says, I'm not ashamed to want to make more money because I am a river, not a reservoir, and anything that I make will pass through me to bless other people. And so I think there's, you know, disassociating yourself from having shame around wanting to make money, but also at the same time having that same, because you know you will help people, but at the same time saying, I put people first. I've always put people first. I am a people person. I am a connector. Um, and and that is, yeah, that's 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 everything to me. People are.
1: I'm a connector, too. I'm glad you said that about <laughs> currency, because I always say that people are investing in people gives you the best dividends possible. I mean, the connections in general, and I get it. Not everybody's a people person, but oh, my but God, you can
0: change too. That's the other yeah. thing is people say to me a lot and uh, they say, well, I'm just not really I'm, I'm a natural pessimist. Um, I, I had an Uber driver that told me that. She said, "I'm a natural pessimist," but then she said, "I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I got sick and tired yes. of myself." And she yeah. said, "So I changed and I started reading books and I started reading books on positivity and all of those things." I have to make your listeners laugh. If you heard me clapping a couple of times, there's a there's like a little fungus fly that like I have a couple plants. I'm a plant person. I, have I a just thought you were plants. really
1: stressing a point. I <laughs>
0: I have a I have a couple of plants that have gotten infested with these really pesky fungus flies, and so I'm like trying oh, yeah. to hit them with like two or three different um, modalities or like you know things to to fix it to kill them. But they're they kind of just fly around. They're tiny. Well, and they're when like- I
1: see you do this, I know you got it.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so if you, if you if your people hear me clapping in the podcast, that's what I'm trying to do. There's one that's just like you know right here in my face. But yes, um, how about that aside?
1: Yeah. Well, I do want to ask you because relationships are big. Yeah. And for you, the part of your story that really stood out to me, you're a female in what, especially at the time, was a male dominant industry. Mm, yeah. What are some hurdles you had to overcome? I mean, because you were the first female to host uh, SiriusXM College, you were the you hosted the inaugural College Football yeah. Playoff game, which I know there were men that would cut off their right and left legs for that. (laughs) position. So being such a trailblazer, I'm sure at some point there was some sexism along the way and some people trying to hold you down. So you don't mind sharing with our listeners some of the things you had to encounter and overcome.
0: Yeah, all of it. Uh, I even went through sexual harassment and it was before me too. And and I, I went to a couple of mentors of mine in the business and they all cried and said, um, literally teared up and said, we wish it weren't the case, but we're at a place in time. This again was before me too, that if you blow the whistle um, and we'll absolutely support you, but if you blow the whistle, we feel like the industry you will never work again. You you may be have a lot of money, but you'll never work again. And I didn't talk about it for a really long time. And then a couple of years ago, I began talking about it. And I wish I would have, I wish now I would have spoken out then, um, because come to find out there were other females that this person had done the same thing to. Um, and so I went through that. I went through, um, there were men on Sirius XM I'd be hosting with, uh, with the host and the literal, we'd be on the radio and this guest would refuse to answer my questions. Like it was so blatant, like, um, I have been through situations where, you know, um, uh, uh, on the air, this guy calls in to this radio show that was on my station and said that Rachel, this Rachel Barbo, she's, now he was kind of being a jerk. Uh, but he was like, she's better than everybody on there, you know, and she's so good. You know, she's so good. She's just that, whatever. And the, the other host said, well, she sure is pretty. And that was his response. <laughs> and it was just, Yeah. So, I mean, I dealt with all of it. I dealt with, um, I dealt with, you know, you know, comments like, wow, you really do know your stuff. Like, like they didn't think I knew I had to, so it was, you know, I dealt with all of that. And, and it was a reason why for seven years I coached over 40 women, young women that wanted to be broadcasters. And, um, I did it for seven years and people said, why did you do that? And I said, because I had nobody to coach me. I, wore the wrong clothes. I cried in front of the boss. I went to the dinners with the smarmy guy, you know, because he said he could get me a job and he was, you know, trying to hit on me. And I did all those things. And I wanted to be able to tell the young women, you don't have to go to the dinners and please cover yourself up. I'm sorry. You can express yourself wherever else you want. But if you go into a locker room with your boobs and your butt hanging out, you know, that's what you're going to get. You know, if that's what you're putting on sale, that's what you're going to get you know i i would you know encourage them to to be tough and negotiate you know on on their own behalf and know that they're worth it i would you know so all the things that i went through i wanted to pass on the um knowledge to other young women that they did not have to go through the things i went through
1: yeah and i hear that and that's that's encouraging to hear on your end of of advice because my daughter's 15 yeah loves loves college basketball um and is always texting me stuff and sending it to me and Uh, you know, I, I worry about her when she gets older, but definitely we're moving in the right direction. I'm not going to say we're there, but we're, we're at least moving in the right direction out of those 40 or so people that you coached, what do you think was the one story that you heard that really stood out to you where it's like, all right, this is, this is paying off. This is doing, this is, this is filling my cup a little bit.
0: Yeah. All of them did, honestly. I mean, you know, some of them are still in the business, some are very successful some decided to you know go a different route um but i think it was really just that you gave me the courage there was one particular story uh where i was feeling particularly defeated i had an agent that um that told me um he said there you know uh, hit kind of the you know one of the pinnacles of my career and he said you know you're never going to get this because you're a female and I was like, "What?" You know, and I remember sitting on my stairs, and it was like they're just never going to give it to you. Like they're just, you know. And I was like, "What?" Like to be so mad about something I couldn't change.
1: Yeah.
0: And I remember feeling like quitting, and I was saying that to somebody that coached, and she said, "But if you quit, what will I do?" And that, like, mm-hmm. whoo, that hit me right between the eyeballs. I was like, "Okay, okay." And um, I remember back in uh, twenty when was this? I don't know. But it was it was probably 2016, 15, somewhere around in there. And um and and the Birmingham newspaper, there was a there was a magazine had had asked me, could they follow me around SEC Media Days and write write a story about me? And it was still one of my favorite stories to these day to this day. And and it was like, you know, Rachel Barbo is the hardest working woman in the industry, you know. Well, what happened was, um, I got a call from Sirius XM that day that their normal host um, had had an accident. And could I fill in uh, for the next three days and like have the marquee show, you know, where like Nick Saban came through and Steve Spurrier and like, you know, and so I did. And, you know, I've been doing this, but that was like being thrust on one of the bigger stages, you know, there and um and I remember having people come in like the SIDs and the people that were with the players and the team. They said, we've been doing this for five years and we've been all over the place. You know, this SEC media days, we've listened to every question, but did what they said. You literally ask the most amazing questions and the most different questions. And I'm like, oh,
1: Feels so I'm, good.
0: I've never forgot, you know. I've never forgotten that, and it was like I when when a coach will sit across from me and say, "That's a really good question," or nobody's asked me that before. I, one time, I asked Nick Saban. I said, "You know, you're really cerebral," <laughs> and he said, "What do you? What's that mean?" I said, "It means you're you're smart, coach." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so he would tell me, um, he would tell me when I left Tuscaloosa, he he would you know end up telling me, "Hey, you you did. You asked me some really neat, interesting, challenging questions, and and um, if you could, if you could." Uh, survive his bite, his, you know, his bark at the beginning. Cause he'd bark a lot of times. Ah! He'd always give you a really thoughtful answer, but he made me a better reporter. So yeah, I think those are the stories that, Hey, that was such an amazing interview or nobody's ever asked him that before mm-hmm. or, um, or no, you know, nobody's asking that way. Those are the things that kept me going as well.
1: And Saban will let you know if he does not oh. the question. Yeah. yeah. He, <laughs> will,
0: he will absolutely And But people would tell me with Saban, they said you would get like the most thoughtful answers out of him because you would ask, you know, you'd ask about, you know, um, I remember uh, I saw it not long ago. It was after a game I asked about, you know, one of the seniors or something um, and because it was senior night. And he launched into this story about one of the seniors and the impact that he made on the program. And, the, and they were like, you never would have even gone there had you not asked him that, you know. And um, I remember one year I asked him about a friend that was of his that was dying from, I asked him what he was thankful for because it was Thanksgiving.
1: Mm.
0: And he said that he had a friend that was dying of brain cancer and that he was grateful that he had spent time, got to spend time with them um and one of my questions i asked him something i can't remember what it was and and it launched into a story about his wife miss terry and how she's the boss and how she picks out his clothes and he may be the boss at work but she's the boss at home and it uh i remember this this story came out of it and it was that at christmas um they were opening gifts and whatnot and she basically said you know uh I know what you really want. And he was like, what is that? And he was like, she was like my blessing to go watch film on Christmas. And she gave him her blessing to go upstairs and watch film on Christmas. And um, yeah. So just little stories like that. Like she allowed him to do that. They have, this is the craziest story. And you're like, make me go way back. (laughs) Uh, I had a, I had a boss uh, when I was writing for gridiron now. And, and he said, why don't you write about Nick and Terry? And I said, Yeah. I said, he said, I think their anniversary was coming up. And I said, you know, that's gonna be a, you know, not gonna happen, but I'll try. Yeah. And I remember reaching out to Miss Terry because I knew her and I said, I said, Miss Terry, I'd love to write about, you know, uh, your love story. And to my absolute surprise, she said, our anniversary is in 10 days. You better write fast. And then began to tell me the story of these two and how she liked him first. And she like did a cartwheel in front of him and he just like walked right by her. And once, but then once they, they finally started talking on the bus on the way to a science fair, and then he would go outside his dad's gas station to the payphone and call. But the payphone also served as like, I think like the office phone or something. So like they would have to hang up. And then like they would call again, hang up and call again. And how um, they were so poor when they got married that he could not afford to take her on a honeymoon. Um, So she goes with him, which makes me tear up. She goes with him to every game because it's like they're doing a honeymoon for the very first one that they didn't oh. get to do. And when he yeah. made his first bonus check, when he was a coach, he paid off her parents' house and um just little things like that like and i remember that story went completely viral and she wrote most of it i just wrote you know i just filled in pieces whatever but miss terry sabin trusted me with her story and it just blows my mind to this day
1: that's so cool to hear hear like a different side versus oh yeah like you said those what those questions can spark versus just y'all look like a day school on defense today yeah and the same same song different verse every saturday
0: And he and he gets tired of those. Honestly, you can see him light up when he actually gets a different kind of question.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. And so what made you decide to I mean, all the success that you've got, uh, like we mentioned, the inaugural college football uh, national title game, which is crazy. Uh, What made you decide to unplug the mic and found uh, change the narrative? Yeah. Hashtag change the narrative.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag. Well, we added an i to make it even better, like make it more declarative. I'm changing the narrative um, a, a couple of years in, but I, for 17 years, my identity was as a sportscaster. That's what right. I was. I was a sportscaster. And here I am telling players, you're more than a football player. Who are you away from the field? Yada, yada, yada. And I didn't really know how intertwined my own identity was with being a sportscaster and so in 2016 I started this movement I went to speak at FSU football and I said um you know at that time it was purpose passion platform mind, experience of domestic violence and finding what sets your soul on fire and you were born for more and you could change the narrative I never thought it would be anything I thought I was just kind of giving these talks on the side uh, uh that was August of 2016 in December of 2016. Um, I was with Clemson 27 days before they dismantled Ohio state en route to a national championship. Yep. And then the next year it blew up um, Alabama and Baylor called and everybody started calling and, um, and, and it got bigger than anything I could ever fathom. And, and the reason why I hung it up was because as much as I loved broadcasting and I did, uh, I, there's, there's nothing that can match what the feeling when somebody says to me, Your talk changed my life, or I've forgiven my mother because of you, or I'm in therapy because of you, or wow. when a player's um, uh, mom now serves in the movement. We have two for my former players' moms who serve in the movement.
1: That's super one,
0: cool. one that plays now with the Steelers and the former quarterback at Minnesota, um, both serving in the movement. And so, yeah, it's it. Uh, I, I And it also, too, became a conflict of interest, to be honest with you. I remember the Alabama-LSU game. I was there, and I stuck a mic for Sirius in one of the LSU players' face, and I could see the confusion go across his face because he was like, wait a minute, she was just at LSU three months ago or a month ago talking to us, and I spilled my guts to her about my trauma, my life, my whatever – Is she going to and I I could tell like I would never, but I could tell the the inference was or the question was, is she going to use that against me? Is she going to go on the radio and talk about what I've told her? So I was doing these two different roles and then they became a little bit of a conflict of interest, conflict in my soul, a moral question. And for a year, 2019, I had been fighting God. And I've been trying to get different jobs and um, and I was still employed at Sirius, but I was trying to climb the ladder and do other things. And there were some opportunities that it seemed like I was a shoe in for that that didn't work out. And finally, God, I hosted the first ever mental health game between Minnesota and Maryland, the first national mental health game between two Big Ten teams. And. I left there and I was going to Mexico on a solo healing trip where the last place my mom and I had gone before she passed away. And I was 33,000 feet in the air and I wrote my retirement letter. And I actually had already had it written, but I had been fighting it. I've been fighting it for months and months. And I was just bawling. I mean, the poor person that was sitting next to me was like, what? He's playing
1: Candy Crush.
0: (laughs) What happened with this? And I was ugly crying. And I wrote the letter and I sent it and people are still to this day blown away by the fact that I was employed and I quit that I emailed Sirius and I quit and, um, yeah, I did it and I've never looked back and, um, it's been an amazing, yeah. An amazing journey.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's like super. And I'm, I'm glad to see it as a mental health game. I think Duke basketball did one yep. uh, a couple of years ago as well. And then let our listeners know, uh, about your book. Relentless joy, finding freedom, passion, and happiness.
0: Yes, yes. Um, So it's coming out June 20th. Um, I will say that pre-orders matter. I didn't recognize how much pre-orders matter in the book world until I became an author. Like you are judged based on the amount of books that you pre-sale. And pre-sales mean anything before June 20th and that first week. So please, please go buy it. It's available wherever books are sold. It is for the person that feels blasted, barren, like they're grieving life. They're grieving an opportunity. Life just is hard. It's hard to put groceries on the table. It's hard to survive. You're in a hard marriage, you know, any of those things, or it's consequently for the person who feels like they kind of have it all. They have a good life, good kids, but something's missing. Like something Mm -hmm. just, I'm just can't put my finger on it, but there's something else here. So it's for both those people um, there's some sports stories in it. There's so non-sports stories, Bill Snyder, legendary Bill Snyder. He's one of my, he's my mentor and one of my best friends. And oh, wow. Yeah. He, um, he, uh, lent his name to the book and I've already got he's another Been doing book. it
1: for quite some time.
0: Yeah. yeah Hall <laughs> of Fame. Uh, and I actually, I'm going to write about him in my next book about how I met him and our relationship and, oh, wow. and I'm gonna write about Bobby Bowden. He was also a friend of mine. Um, and I'm also going to write about the Sabins. So the next book is going to be going to have some heavy sports stories in oh, yeah. it. Um, for sure. So obviously I'm I'm insane. I have not launched my first book and I'm already thinking about my second. That's good
1: though. That's the way to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, I'm very excited about it, but yes, please go order it. Some churches are using it for small groups. You can use it for book clubs. It's for men. It's for women. It's for teenagers, um, six to 96, you know, m- six, maybe a little young, but um but it's, it's a great book, and I think people are going to love it. And Now, the coolest part of what's happening now is a few people have the book uh, and are giving me feedback and telling me what they love and mm. what meant something to them and this and that. And, and that's the thing that's really getting me, um, is seeing and hearing it through other people's eyes.
1: I saw something, and we're going to have the links for that, too. Yeah. I saw something where someone did something similar. They had a little bit of a... Uh, like a pre-release yeah. and then they were getting those testimonials and then they had a QR code where you could go and you could read for each chapter, like what that meant to each person.
0: Mm. Um, That's which, so good.
1: Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool, but yeah, we will have the link and you can also order them in bulk. I saw you yeah. have like bulk orders. Um, And it is like, trust me, if you're looking for a number, she's got it on there. Um, So go on there. There's some incentives for each one as well. Yes. So definitely go check out, uh, like I said, we'll have the links in the episode description. And last question for you, and and this has been an incredible interview. When someone, I mean, your your book's going to be hanging around forever. There's audio clips of you, articles, all this stuff. So your legacy's out there. But when people mention your name 50 years from now, what do you want them to say about you?
0: That's a good question. Um, when I lost my mom in 2019, I began to think about my own mortality. And I began to think about, it's not a question of if it's just when. And I say it in the book, we're all walking each other home. We don't know how long we have on this planet. So I want people to say she loved passionately and relentlessly. She cared about people. She um, she gave, she was a giver. Um, that's what I want people to say. Because, you know, we all, we have this opportunity to have, be a ripple on a pond. And, um, the famous Cecil Hurt was a friend of mine, and I, I I hosted his show in Alabama, and I wrote about this in the book. And he said um, he was supposed to see, come hear my talk at Alabama in 2017, but but he couldn't be there. And he called me afterwards, and he said, "I'm so sorry I couldn't be there." He said, "But I heard about it," and I said, "Oh, okay, thank you so much." You know, and he said, "No, no, no, Rachel, you don't get it." And I said, what do you mean? He said, you think you just affected one player in that room today. He said, if one player goes back and breaks a generational cycle of abuse or abandonment or um, drug addiction or alcohol addiction or whatever it is, um, porn or anything, one person breaks that cycle. Then it's his kids and his grandkids and their grandkids and their grandkids. So you think, Rachel, you just affected one player in that room today. You have no idea. The future generations of people they'll be affected by your your message and um, and speaking of those bonus I have to tell I haven't told the story publicly yet in 2017 I went to Baylor Baylor was in the thick of had just fired every uh, administrator and there was not a player a coach or administrator that was there that had anything to do with the scandal the sexual scandal yet um, there were players being called rapist and no means it's no a
1: basketball team right.
0: It was their football team. Football team. And um, and so there were players there that were still being denigrated, and their fans were being called horrible names at airports and at games. It was just really bad. And so I went there to speak, and they had the players had their heads down, they didn't want to hear me. They they were tired of being lumped in with these, you know, these accusations. They had nothing to do with just because they played at Baylor. And I went in there that day and I told them, You're, you know, you're a king and I believe in you. And and amazing things are going to happen, and like some, something miraculous in that room happened. Like scales fell away. They understood that I was for them, and that I believed in them. And so that was 2017. Well, the Baylor fans, this is so cool. The Baylor fans jumped on it and loved me. I went back many times. They supported me. They kind of made me a you know uh, de facto Baylor fan. Fast forward six years. Baylor fans found out that I was uh, asking people to donate books, which that's the bonus page you talked about. I was asking people to donate books to a Christian halfway house for women that are coming out of drugs, jail, abandonment, abuse, prostitution. And then when we hit that goal, we're going to raise books for kids in school that want a copy um, to be able to read this. So they found out I was, I was donate, you know, trying to raise money to donate these books over the weekend. These Baylor fans Raised over two thousand dollars to donate books to me.
1: Oh, wow! And
0: the the message board said, She was there for us in 2017, let's be there for her in
1: 2023.
0: How and that? It's just amazing, Gosh.
1: yeah,
0: yeah, full circle.
1: Full yeah, you never circle. really know your impact until you see things you like that.
0: You don't. And I, had, and I had no clue that in 2017, my actions in 2017 would encourage and influence Baylor fans in 2023 to buy books for women they'll never meet yeah. that are coming out of the most horrific circumstances. And because of these fans in Texas and all over the world, these Baylor fans, these women will get a free book put in their hands because of what I did back in 2017. It's just mind blowing.
1: Yeah.
0: It's mind blowing.
1: Super cool. What an impact. What? What final comments do you have for our listeners?
0: Oh, man. Um, you know, it goes along with the book. Um, but I would say the name of the book is Relentless Joy. My middle name is Joy. I have been through enough in my life. Um to If I went and lived, I say this jokingly, if I went and lived in a mountain in a cave with a, and had a pet goat, you know, nobody would blame me. You know, I've been through, you know, abuse, addiction, loss, lost everything and built back, lost both my parents, been through suicidal ideation. I've been through everything. And yet still there is joy. And I just want to encourage your listeners that there is a choice in everything we do. And that's bitter or better. We get that choice every single day. It can break you, it can stomp you out, or you can say, you know what? I'm gonna be better for this. I'm gonna learn from it. Yes, I may have fallen down. Yes, I may have screwed up. And yes, I may have failed, but it's only a failure if you don't learn the lesson, right? So I would just encourage your listeners to... um Open your eyes and notice the joy that's all around you. Notice the joy that um, is begging to be noticed, right? And to be, we we call it a joy starter in the book, and that's somebody who notices joy, spreads joy, and is joy. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't care what you've been through. I've, I've probably been there, you know. Um, there's not a reason to live this one precious life blasted and barren. There's there is a path forward, and I talk about it in the book.
1: what an incredible episode, folks. Like I said, we're going to have all the links in the episode description for this. So definitely make sure you check it out. Go support her. Uh, If you like what we're doing here, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or theshadowspodcast.com. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. And until next week, we'll continue to bring light into these stories out of the shadows here on The Shadows Podcast.
2: You know, most people go through life aiming at nothing and hit it with amazing accuracy. And they find themselves just feeling stuck in a rut, wondering if this is all there is. And I'm here to tell you, no, it is not. And life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut. So check out beyondtherut.com and listen to episodes of other people who are also feeling stuck in a rut, asking themselves the same questions you are around their faith, their family, their fitness, their finances, and just their outlook on future possibility. And there, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired to make your own path and live life beyond the rut so again go the check rut. out beyondtherut.com, beyond where you can find blog posts and podcast beyond episodes as well as some tools to help you design the targets you wish to hit in life in those beyond five f's faith family fitness finances and future possibility because again beyond life is too dang short to live it stuck in a rut now go check it out beyond the rut it's yours